Well, tonight I want to talk to you um, about the DTR talk. That's the um, the title of tonight's message. Uh, raise your hand if you ever heard of that, the DTR talk. Maybe the younger people. No? Well, good. This will be this will be fresh for everyone. So, the DTR talk is also now known as uh, defining the relationship. Defining the relationship, and on the heels of Pastor Todd's series on relationships, I thought it would be appropriate to chat about this. Um, I want to start with a story, though, um, and and this is a story that I think accurately portrays one scenario of defining relationships. Um, when I was in college, I, I never like to use the person's real name because I don't want that to come back and bite me. So I always use John. So that poor guy, John, out there catches a whole lot of stories about him. But uh, so John, uh, my roommate's name was John, and um, he was an exercise science major. And he would come home, and we would always talk about our classes together. And it was pretty fun, you know. I, I learned a lot by talking, and so did he. And so he would just go on and on about what he was learning and. And who was in his class? Well, one day, I'm sitting and I'm watching TV, and the door just, boom, flies open, and John runs in. And John drops his bag, and he says, dude, it was like first day of class, he says, dude, I got this girl in my class. Dude, she's awesome. And he's going on and on about this girl in his class. And so as the semester goes, she'd come over uh, with a group of people, and they would study. And I could tell, man, John had a little thing for this girl, and I'll call her Susie. So John had a thing for Susie. Well, man, John would talk about Susie all the time. Well, one day we go get a smoothie uh, after we had worked out, and guess who's working at the smoothie store? Susie. So needless to say, it took us a whole long time to get the smoothie that day. John created conversation about everything. Um, but, you know, I picked up on something. It didn't seem like Susie was into John the way John was into Susie, and I didn't have the heart to tell him, and even when I tried to give him the hint, man, it was, it was kind of disheartening. So anyway, one day John comes and he says, all right, dude, look, he said, um, I'm inviting Susie uh, to study with me at CC's, but nobody else is invited. I said, well, did, does she know that? He said, no. <laughs> I said, well, uh, you might, <laughs> might want to let her know that little detail, and he didn't. So as he's getting ready to go to CeCe's, John's ironing a shirt. He's putting on like a tie and, I mean, going way overboard for this CeCe's coffee. And I felt terrible because it's like, oh, man, I, I felt like I was watching a slow, a slow train wreck, you know. And, uh, but, hey, man, I was hoping the best for John. John goes to CeCe's. He's all excited. Around 10 o'clock uh, that night, I was at our apartment, and, um, man, he, he hits the door. And uh, the door closes, quiet. He kind of walks in, trying to, trying to be low-key. Said, hey, man, how, how'd it go? And so he just sat down and just looked straight ahead. He was, he was so beat. And the, the visual I could get is, imagine like a duck flying over a rice field. And he's so excited. He just sees this rice field. And this hunter pops up and just, boom, shoots him down. Like, what a disappointing situation. Man, that's exactly what happened with John. So needless to say, as they're sitting having coffee, John says, or she says, hey, I have a question for you. Um, like, just want to make sure, like, what do you think is going on here? Like, because to me, we're studying. And so John, you know, told her, well, I was kind of thinking this was something else. And so they had a DTR talk. And that's what that is. It's defining the relationship. Now, I know that was a kind of a downer story in a sense for John's uh, sake, but 
you know, I thought, what if, what if John didn't have that relationship defined? Then he'd have had inaccurate expectations set. He'd have had unhealthy boundaries set. And you know what? Other relationships in John's life would have been neglected and out of, out of place. And so I think it's so important that we understand the different types of relationships that we have and we accurately define them. Now, I think this is a very relevant message today. Uh, and I would even go as far to say maybe more in, in this day than before. And, um, I think relationships have been redefined in a confusing and inaccurate way. And one culprit would be social media. I think social media can, can really hinder or influence the way we define relationships. And I'll give you an example. Um, on Facebook, everybody has a different number of friends. I looked today, I think I had like 1,800 friends on Facebook. And I'm not a real faithful guy on Instagram, but um, I, I don't know how many I have on there, but I have a certain number on there. Um, the title is Friends on Facebook. But the deal is, if I was in a bind and I called 1,800 people, there is no way 1,800 people would show up. There's only a handful of people would show up from my Facebook friends. And what's happened is we've taken the word acquaintance and we've put the word friend over it. And it causes us to define friendship in a mediocre way when it's not supposed to be that at all. See, the big issue with blurring these definitions is that each Different type of friendship requires a different level of trust, a different level of intimacy, expectations are different, responsibilities and boundaries are different, privileges are even different. And so tonight I want to define a few different types of, of relationships um, and also not just define them, but what does the Bible say about them and maybe even talk about some practical things. And it's not just going to be uh, friendships or acquaintances, I want to talk about strangers and acquaintances. I want to talk about general friends, just friends in general, um, as well as peer mentors and mentors. And I also want to talk about spouses. And finally, I want to talk about God and our relationship with him. But first, the first two relationships, I'm going to put them together. They're slightly different, but they kind of play the same role um, or a similar role. And the first is strangers and acquaintances. I have another real quick story about strangers and acquaintances. Um, I've always been a really friendly person, even when I was a little kid. And when I was about six years old, I was at the grocery store. It was Rouses and Homa um, with my granny. And so I got out of the grocery store cart. And, uh, my granny was looking at something and she didn't see me. And I walked around the aisle and it was, I remember this so vividly. I walked around the aisle and there was this coffee aisle. And um, there was this man with a beard, and all I remember is seeing that beard, and I kind of just crossed my arms, and I just looked at him. I said, hey, where you got that beard? And uh, so we started a conversation, and I remember asking him, so what you do? And he's I don't know what he said, and I was six. I probably didn't know what in the world he was talking about, but I'd heard my parents have these conversations, and so I just wanted to have these conversations. Well, my granny comes, and she just grabs me by the arm. She tells me, Brady James. Get back in the grocery cart. So she put me in a grocery cart, and she fussed me, and she said, you don't need to be talking to strangers. And so I was upset because that stranger was cool, and I was having a good conversation. And so later on, he's leaving, and we're checking out, and he says, see you, little buddy. And I had my arms crossed, and I had like this little mean look on my face, and I said, 
I can't talk to you. You a stranger. And I got in trouble. <laughs> I thought about that today. And I thought, man. <laughs> Sorry. I thought, man, you know, my granny, they had an underlying lesson going on there that my granny knew about. And she knew that there was a distinction bef- between friends and strangers. Um, and I didn't. I was ignoring a certain factor like trust or boundaries. Um, and just like I was ignoring those things when I was a little boy in the grocery store, I think today we can make that same mistake, even though we're older. And I'll elaborate on what I mean. You know, without realizing it, we can become way too transparent with the wrong audience, even if we think the audience could possibly mean well, and we could possibly mean well. I want to define stranger, and it's a simple definition, but I'm going to draw, uh, draw together in conclusion of what I'm talking about by mis- representing ourselves to an audience or the wrong audience. So stranger, an unacquainted with um, or one per- a person unacquainted with or one who a person does not know. Acquaintance is similarly, de- similarly defined, um, one generally known. Now, there's a business book uh, some of you may have heard of, but it talks about seven levels of intimacy. And it says strangers and acquaintances share two levels of intimacy or conversation. And one of them is cliches. And another one is pleasantries. So stuff like, how are you? Nice shirt. I like your shoes. Or like we say, like, how's your mom and them? That's pleasantries and that's cliche, surface level relationships. In Proverbs eleven fifteen, we read, guaranteeing a loan for a stranger is dangerous. It is better to refuse than to suffer later. Now, I know it's talking about a financial loan here, but I think the proverb is getting at something a little deeper. I think there's wisdom in setting conservative boundaries on people that you don't fully and totally know. I think there's wisdom in having a limited amount of trust when you only have a limited amount of relationship and knowledge. A simple example might be, um, we don't let just anybody walk into our house, and we don't know them. We don't just pick up a random person um, on the side of the road, typically. I mean, hey, I've heard some great stories about the Lord leading people to do that, that's awesome, but typically we don't we don't do that, right? It can be a little dangerous, um, and there's the, there's the appropriateness of when to do that and when not to. Now, the appropriate trust or an appropriate boundary and level of intimacy with strangers is taken into account in social media platforms, and that's where the stranger thing happens to get in the way when we're an adult. So we give strangers and acquaintances an open window of access into our personal lives without realizing it sometimes on social media. Now, some of us are are more conservative with what we share, but some of us aren't. Um, Some of us share things on social media platforms that are only meant to be shared with close friends. And uh, there's a conversation that I've heard and I've talked to a few people just to poll, and I know a lot of people have heard this similar conversation. And it goes something like this. I posted this intimate detail of my life online, and I can't believe such and such said this. They don't even know me. And pe- have you ever heard that before? A conversation like that before? And, it, and people, they pick up a fence, but they're hurt. And I think it's because that, that false definition of friend has become an illusion. And it can cause us to trust an audience of strangers and acquaintances with the same trust we're, we're supposed to reserve for close friends. And when we do that, then we can be betrayed by thinking that like it's a real friend betraying us and it's just a social media platform. 
there's a saying out there um, that I like, and it says this. It says, lions don't care about the opinions of sheep. Have you ever heard that before? And so it's not to belittle the sheep. It's to encourage the lion. You know, I was reading an article uh, earlier this week about a, a 10-year-old kid who took his own life because he was being bullied by people he'd never met before online. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that horrible? That's crazy. But there's, a, there's a, a, a lack of boundary and too much trust with something that's so surface level. And I think it's because especially a younger generation are growing up with a misrepresentation of true friendship and they're mixing up those two definitions. The Bible says this in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. Above all else, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. I just want to ask you before I move on, are strangers and acquaintances properly defined in your life? Are there healthy boundaries in those areas of relationships? And don't be quick. You might want to think about that because as I was preparing to preach this, this part, the first thing I thought of, man, I might not include this. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm being affected by that. And so I just want to encourage you to maybe reflect on that. Now, the next relationship uh, that we need to define is friendship. And this seems like something we'd be well acquainted with. But when I was looking at definitions, I was comparing the 1828 Webster Dictionary's uh, definition of friendship with today's definition of friendship. And I was really intrigued by what I found. So I'll give you today's definition first. It says, a person whom one knows of and with whom has a general mutual bond. It's pretty simple. A person like somebody that you know and you have a general mutual bond. But check out Webster's 1828 definition of friend. It says, one who is attached to another by affection, who earns another's respect, esteem, and affection, which leads him or her to desire his company and seek to promote his happiness and well-being. <laughs> which one of those definitions do you want to be your friends? I'm talking about the second one. That's friendship to me. And I noticed something else. Up until, I think it was 2010, friendship was a, a noun only. And now it's a verb as well. And the verb says to friend someone mainly through social media. That word mainly through social media? What? There's no way that that above definition from 1828 could be accomplished by pushing a button. No way. And, you know, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking, man, why would I be preaching about something like this? Well, I think it's because it's so important that if we get lulled from genuine friendship and genuine relationship to the new definition, we'll never accomplish what God has set out for us to accomplish. It won't happen. It won't happen. I want to read that, that 1828 definition again. And as I read it, because this is what happened to me in my office, I started to define or I started to compare my personal definition of friendship with this one. So, one who is attached to another by affection, who earns another's respect, esteem, and affection, which leads him to desire his company and seek to promote his happiness and well-being. And I thought, man, all of my friendships have not necessarily been defined that way. Some of them have been cheapened by a new definition. So the question would be, how have you been defining friendship in your life? 
the Bible has a lot to say about friendship, and I want to elaborate on a few key friendships in particular. The first one uh, is friendships in general. And uh, Pastor Todd preached about this, and I'm not going to hit it in as much detail, but if you missed Sunday, go and check that out because there's more detail, but I just want to generally talk about it. So friendship uh, in general. Um, on the levels of intimacy scale that I mentioned earlier, um, general friendships would include sharing your hopes and dreams and opinions. That would be the appropriate place to do that in a genuine friendship, general friendship. Your trust and your intimacy naturally, should be greater than that of an acquaintance or a stranger. Um, these are people that you would typically spend physical time with. Um, I'd like to add that that time on, on the internet or texting doesn't count as physical time because there's so much missing from, from face-to-face communication. You can't replicate that. When I do this, it, it, it looks a little different than if I did this and I'm saying the same thing, you know? You can't mimic... Um, real genuine connection. Um, there, was a, there was a quote that said this about influence. And general friends are the ones that we are most influenced by or should be most influenced by. The quote says this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Has anybody heard that quote before? Show me your friends and I will show you your future. You know, when I was younger, my mom and dad would tell me that all the time. They would always say, Brady, be very careful with who you hang out with. And as I get older, I realize, man, weren't they so right? Be very careful. And still, I'm very careful about that. I don't think we ever outgrow that because we never outgrow the influence of friendship. Now, I didn't realize this at the time, but there's actually biblical truth to show me your friends and I'll show you your future. In Proverbs 13, 20, it says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Whoever walks with fools will suffer harm. Hmm. So moving forward, I want to define a little bit more. When I, you know, when I just read that, I thought of, anyway, uh, I'm not going to get on a rabbit trail. Um, I want to define just four key components that I would say any general friendship should have. The first one is friends should be loving. Friends should be loving. Have you ever seen somebody who is friends with someone or maybe even dating someone? And man, that person that they're friends with or that person that they're dating is not loving at all. Have you ever seen that? It's like when they leave that person, you can tell. You know, I had one friend in particular in college and, um, and he had another group of friends and I could tell when he, he had been around them. His demeanor was different. His attitude was different. The things he talked about were different. He was very unloving. He was very unloving. So friends should be loving. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The second thing a general friend should be is encouraging. Pastor Todd mentioned that this Sunday. should be encouraging. Life is hard, man, and we got enough stuff to be walking around in all day long to be spending time and choosing to spend time with somebody who's not encouraging. There's just not enough time in a day for that. And so should be encouraging. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. The third thing is a friend should be loyal and willing to stick with you when you go through hard times. Now, when I was preparing this, I thought, well, man, could the second one and the third one contradict each other? You know, if somebody's going through a hard time, maybe they're not encouraging. Well, I think 
the very last relationship that I talk about will answer that question. But I want to read this scripture in Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When I read that, I think about loyalty and willing to stick with somebody through hard times. You know, when I read that scripture, there are uh, about, well, three or four people that, that come to my mind. And one of the hardest times in my life, when I didn't expect anybody to be there, when I was making a decision that didn't make a, a whole lot of logical sense, but I was, I was following my heart, there were four key relationships in my life, and they reached out to me. And I'm standing here because of their encouragement and their willingness to stick, stick with me and be loyal. So they should be loyal and willing to stick with you through hard times. And the fourth general friendship characteristic, a friend should be humbly, uh, should be humbly holding you accountable, should be humbly holding you accountable. Galatians 6 chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Some of the best friends that I have are the ones who hold me accountable. Last week, I met with a good friend of mine, and as I was talking, he stopped me gently and humbly, and he said, hey man, you said a phrase a couple times, and I kind of want to delve a little bit more in there. I said, sure, man, what, what, what is it? And he, me and him started to talk probably like 30 minutes to an hour, and he mined something out that was unhealthy in my heart I didn't even know was there. What a great friend. What a great friend, because the truth is, if he wouldn't have done that, it would have came out up here. <laughs> I need him to do that stuff, or it came out in my, in my relationships with other people that are closer to me. So we should crave accountability in our friendships. Now, I want to note this. This characteristic is under friendships, not strangers and acquaintances. You know, when I was preparing this and I read that, sometimes people can abuse that scripture. Um, sometimes people can be uh, like the accountability police for strangers um, and acquaintances. And, and I've seen that to be true in Christian circles as well. Ha has anybody in here seen that before? No? No? I have. And, you know, one time I remember I was weed eating at, at my house uh, when I was living in Homa, and this mailman passed and told me, dude, you're doing a terrible job. <laughs> dude, I don't even know you. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job. But I thought, you know what? That dude telling me I'm doing a terrible job, I had no idea who he was. He didn't make me do any better of a job because he wasn't a friend. He hadn't earned the right. When we look at the definition of friendship, they earn the right to, to speak into your life. You know, my favorite example of this is Jesus. There's one example in particular when there was a person um, who was a woman caught in adultery. And there were two different approaches to her. One was the Pharisees' approach. And they, they were very harsh. Uh, they, were, they were accusative. And then there was Jesus' approach, and it's gentle and humble. Now, she was fixing to pay a penalty, and Jesus came gracefully and humbly. He didn't condone her sin, but his approach was gentle and humble, and we see it made a difference in her life. 
And so we should crave accountability. But when, when we play that role and give accountability to our friends, we need to make sure it's gentle and it's humble. We need to make sure our heart is right. Y'all receive that? Okay, that's not a popular thing to preach, but man, I, I don't want to fall into being that person. So The second thing uh, is close friends. So that was the general scope of friends. There's three other types of friends I want to talk about. Close friends. Now, these are your best friends, or I'll get into this, peer-to-peer mentors, or, or even mentors in general. On that, on that uh, levels of, of intimacy, uh, these are the people you share your deepest concerns, your deepest fears, uh, your deepest desires, and your deepest passion. Close friends uh, should have a greater intimacy level and trust level than anybody else that I had mentioned so far. As a single person, um, students, um, these are the people you spend the most time with, and they should be carefully selected. So your close friends should not just be just anyone. They should be carefully selected, like we heard earlier. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. As a married person with a family, these are the friends that you play, that play a key part in your family's lives as well, like a godparent or your, your Friday night hangout buddies, um, etc. They make the cut to become influencers to your family. And so these close friends have to be carefully picked. Husbands, your close friends should consist of men who add to you as a man, as a husband, and as a father. They should complement your relationship with your wife, not cause dissension. You know, I worked with a guy one time. He was an unmarried guy. And um, he was what people would consider a man's man. He could hunt and fish with the best of them. He could do his job really well. But when he would get around other men who were married, he would always condemn their relationships in these subtle ways. Like, man, why you got to run off? Your wife can't wait. And he'd say these things that would really plant seeds of division in people's marriages. And I just got to watch as, I, as this guy would just sow seeds of discord in a marriage. And I don't know why, but as I was studying for this, that came to my mind. If there's a friend like that in your life, that needs to be redefined. That friendship needs to be redefined. Now, um, the same example for wives. Your friendships should encourage you in your relationship with your husband. They should add to you as a woman, a wife, and a mom. Again, any friendships that do the opposite of that in that stage of your life is not a friendship. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So close friends can be closer than a brother. This talks about that next level of friendships. Now, when I, whenever we're doing prayer and fasting, the Lord had dealt with me on four key areas. One of them was me stewarding my friendships and prioritizing my friendships. And he started to show me that I was neglecting some of the most precious friendships in my life. Some of them were, were family. Some of them were just real close friends. Some of these close friends were people who had been there for me um, when I needed them the most. And I wasn't intentionally neglecting them, but I, I was too busy for them. And so as I started to seek uh, the Lord for more direction, that scripture came to my mind. A man with many companions may come to ruin. And he highlighted this for me. Close friendships, influential friendships, require more stewardship and attention. The plant analogy works here really well. If you don't water a plant, it dies. Close friendships have to be watered or they will die. 
Um, for young, young people, you know, I've seen this happen with young people. Um, and I, I even did it when I was young. They'll, they'll get into a relationship. And you know what? It can happen with older people too. You'll get into a relationship and your friends go by the wayside and the relationship doesn't work out. And now your friends are gone or you've, you've missed out on, on experiences with them. There's nothing to talk about anymore because you weren't enjoying their friendships. And so just to encourage you, invest in those close friendships. Whenever I read a man with many companions may come to ruin, I like people. And I thought, man, how could that be scriptural? Isn't it good to have a lot of friends? I think what the Lord was saying here is that it's impossible to maintain quality friendships with too many people. Because if you think about it, you can't go to, what was that number? Uh, 1,843 birthday parties. There's no way I could maintain real friendships with all those people on Facebook, right? And so we can't be lulled into thinking that. We have to prioritize our friendships. Now, the two other types of friendships I briefly mentioned earlier, I think are extremely important, but I think they're highly undervalued. And that's mentors and peer-to-peer mentors. Um, I was listening to a story or actually a message from a pastor that I really like, and he, he, he was talking about how he values mentors and peer-to-peer mentors. And the way he set it up, I thought was phenomenal, and I, I strive to do that, um, and, and I'm not always perfect at it, but uh, I strive for this in my life. And over the last couple of years, I've been doing this. But this is what he said. He said, number one, in each area of my life that uh, I specialize in, he says he don't specialize in more than three, he used ministry for an example. He said, I have a mentor, and then I have, he aims for three peer-to-peer mentors. And he said, you know, the first week of the month, I meet with my mentor for one to three hours. He said, so, and, and, and my mentor is a key influence for me. He said, the, the other weeks of the month, every week I meet with a peer. We're in the same level of things. I respect them. I trust them. They respect me, uh, and they trust me. And, and we gain from each other. For the mentor, I thought, you know what? These things are intentional. How many of you have really good friends that you haven't seen in a really long time? Everybody else is really good with friendship in here. <laughs> um, well, man, I have really good friends that I haven't seen in a really long time, and I noticed something. Um, and it's not like I'm only 26, but the older I get, the harder it seems to keep in touch with these people And I know that some of that's just a factor of life, but some of that is avoidable if we're intentional. And so I want to talk about being intentional with mentors and in peer-to-peer mentors. First, I want to define what is a mentor. I mean, we hear that word. I've always heard that word. um, And I've heard these complex definitions. And I found this really simple one. And it's simple. An experienced or trusted advisor who is further along in life than you are. There's always somebody further along in life than you are. And Proverbs 20, 29 came to my mind when I think about a mentor. The glory of the young is their strength. Their gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. So this verse highlights the wisdom of people that are older than you. You know, you can't purchase wisdom. You can't purchase experience and you can't go to school for it. There was a, there was a business, uh, back in my hometown in Homa. And there was a 32-year-old guy who got his Ph.D. in business. And um, he got hired on at a local business there. They had like 100-something employees. And he started hiring a bunch of people straight out of college. 
which isn't bad in and of itself, but he let go of all of the older guys, all of the guys with experience and all of the guys with wisdom. And one of those things that they had learned through their experience and their wisdom is one of the things that they do is they dig these holes in, in the oil field. And when you dig a hole a certain depth, you got to put these barriers. It's like, a, it's like a box, like a steel box for somebody to get down in there. It's a safety measure. Well, these younger guys were, were running on a job, and there was a, was a bunch of smart, intelligent guys. There was no wisdom around. They had one older guy left, and he told them, he said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, I know we're on a deadline. I know we're on a budget, but you can't put a man down in that hole. That goes against code. Somebody would get killed like that. Well, man, they fired that guy about a week later for being disobedient, and guess what happened in about a month? Somebody got one of them holes. They didn't put a little barrier down there, and the guy died. That, that place started, had 100 employees. They're down to 30, and, and it's not the recession. People are going other places to work, and you know what that is? They, they, they took for granted wisdom and experience. They thought that they could buy it, and they thought that they could get it in school, and they can't. Wisdom only comes from prayer and sitting under those who have it. So I want to just, I just want to get that point across as much as I can. Don't take for granted the relationship of a mentor. And you can't just go pick one. Pray for one. Let the Lord show you one. But every, there's a mentor for everybody. The other part is um, peer-to-peer mentors. Um, the definition of this one is simple as well, but it's someone who, uh, who is on an equal level with you, but is experienced and trusted. Equal level, but is experienced and trusted. It's a mutually beneficial relationship. With the mentor, you don't teach the mentor, the mentor teaches you. With the peer-to-peer relationship, it's mutually beneficial. Proverbs 7, uh, 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. Um, what I was telling you guys earlier about a couple weeks ago or last week, when my friend was, was calling me out on some things and holding me accountable, the sharpening process there uh, really was not, was not fun. It, it wasn't fun to admit that I was wrong. It wasn't fun to admit that I had a fault. Um, but what it led to was a series of, of repentance. Was, it, was, it was a series of honor. And, and sitting where I'm at now, I feel so much better because of that sharpening. Another, another verse is Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. One last one, when I think about peer-to-peer mentorship, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys, when I'm talking about that, maybe even as I'm preaching, maybe even as I'm reading these scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks through his word. Maybe there's a person that comes to your mind. Maybe there's someone that you say, you know what, I need to reach out to that person. I need that person to be a mentor in my life. Hey, um, don't wait around to do it. Go do it. Um, if there isn't someone, don't just pick a random person. Prayerfully consider who that person can be and let the Lord show you who can be a mentor in your life. The peer-to-peer mentor thing, same thing. Be praying. Who would be somebody that fits those general friendship descriptions and that I trust and is wise and can speak into my life? The reason I think these two are undervalued and so extremely important is there was something that the guy I was listening to, he made this comment. It was just a, a passing comment, but he had said this. 
He said, you know what? Every relationship in my life benefits from the peer mentors and the mentor in my life. And he had made this comment. He's been married for 30 years. He said, there's only been one or two times that this was needed, but I listen. When those mentors speak to me, when those close friends speak to me, I listen to them. He said, my, his wife's name is Kathy. He said, you know, one time in particular, Kathy and I weren't getting along. Um, nobody would have known about it. And one of my, my mentor called me and all four of them were in a room. And man, I didn't leave that room until things were settled. And he said, my wife loves that I have that going in my life. He said, all my close friends love that I have that going in my life. And he's in ministry and business. And he said, and all my workers love that I have that going on in my life. Because when they see an issue, chances are, so do my, my peer mentors and my mentor. And it's not long until that gets worked out. So have I beat that point hard enough tonight? Get mentors and peer mentors. Okay, next relationship as I'm, as I'm getting close to wrapping up. Next relationship is your relationship with your spouse. Um, now, this is a different relationship, and it, it differs from every other relationship in this. It's the only other relationship other than God that has a covenant. It's the only other relationship that has a covenant. And it's also the only place God has designated sexual intimacy in the, in the confines of marriage. I want to read this to you. In Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Jump to verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. At last, Adam exclaimed. <laughs> I, love the, I love the NLT, at last. Who knows that song, At Last, by Etta James or Eda James? I feel like this is the first time that that was a background song in this world. I really believe that, hey, God's timeless, right? I'm sure he, he knew, man, a, a song from like the 1960s would really fit right here. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, so she is part of my own flesh and bone. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. See, marriage is created to be the relationship with the highest level of intimacy between two human beings. That's marriage. There should be no relationship in your life that you have a greater level of intimacy than the one between you and your wife if you're married. Now, single people and students, this is also true for you. And you might be thinking, well, how in the world is that true? Just because you're married doesn't mean you shouldn't reserve and protect that place of intimacy in your life. Now, we're on the tail end of a purity series, so we really talked about that a whole lot, and I won't, I won't add that in here because I feel like I'd be beating a dead horse. But anyway, so each relationship, when properly defined, has designated levels of intimacy, responsibility, and boundaries. So let's stand as we close, and I'm going to go into one more, uh, one more relationship. Tonight we talked about several, right? We, said, we talked about strangers and acquaintances. Uh, we talked about general friendships. We talked about close friendships, mentors, and spouses. But here's the kicker. You can't be the spouse or the mentor or the close friend or the, the regular general friend or the acquaintance or even the stranger that you were made to be without having a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't do it. And the reason you can't do it 
is that there's a grace that's needed for true friendship. Earlier, when I said a friend needs to be loving, you know, I almost read the whole, uh, well, not the whole chapter, but 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, 4 through 8, it's the love chapter. When we read that, when I do a wedding, I read that, and it always hits me. It is impossible to live that way 100% of the time. But God can give you the grace to live that way when you stay tapped into his grace. And so that love is needed for every one of those uh, levels of relationships. You know, strangers can feel and sense the love of God. Acquaintances can feel and sense the love of God. General friends, close friends, every area can feel and sense the love of God. And so the final relationship that you need to make sure you define is your relationship with God. That's the most important relationship to define. And so I know a lot of people in here are Christians. Some maybe you aren't. But regardless of where you are, I just want to invite you, if you have the freedom, just close your eyes and just bow your head. And I just want you to think along the lines of defining a friendship. The Bible says a lot about Jesus. The Bible says he, he, calls, him his, he calls him our friend, says our Lord, our Savior, our Master. There's a lot to be said about Jesus. But there's a few key things when it comes to defining our relationship with Jesus. There's two scriptures. One of them is, it's important to know who he is and why he came. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And another scripture says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the thing is, somebody might be in here tonight and they might feel like they might feel condemned. They might not feel good enough to have a relationship with God. But let me help you in your definition with your relationship with God. The truth is, his relationship is not based on your performance. Matter of fact, the only way you can perform, the only way you can live a holy life is if Jesus comes into your heart. He's the only one who can empower you to do that. So if you're here tonight, everybody's eyes are closed, everybody's head is bowed. I don't want you to feel pressured like anyone's looking around. But if that's you, if you feel like, you know what, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus, and I sure would like one. Nobody's looking. Just slip up your hand real quickly, and I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. If you would say, you know what, I'm not sure that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I really want one. Just slip up your hand. Now the rest of us, still eyes closed, just focus in. Maybe at some point tonight I was talking and maybe you've realized that you've gotten sidetracked in your definition of, of relationships. Maybe you've misdefined something. Let the Holy Spirit show you what that is. I just want us to ask this question right now with the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show each person in this room what you would like to show them. God, what are you saying to everybody in this room? What are you saying to everybody in this room? Right now, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking something specific to you, I want to encourage you. Ask him to tell you more about it. If the Holy Spirit is saying a word, or maybe he's convicting you, or maybe he's encouraging you, or maybe there's a person that's on your mind, or a friendship that's on your mind, let the Holy Spirit speak more to you about that. 
I want to encourage you when you leave here tonight, call that person if it's a person that came to your heart or, or got on your heart or came to your mind. Maybe God is showing, I just feel led to say this, maybe God is showing you someone that you need to reconcile with. Maybe you're holding unforgiveness. Maybe there was a close friend that there's been some unforgiveness and some reconciliation really needed there. Let me encourage you, reach out and do that. Don't let time pass. Do that tonight. Now, I just want to pray over you guys. Lord Jesus, as I was preparing for this message, I stand here convicted of misdefining friendships in my life and relationships in my life. Lord, I pray that you would guide us to the correct definition of relationships. Lord, I pray that we would steward the good relationships in our lives. God, I pray that you would lead us to reconcile relationships that need to be reconciled. Lord, I pray that we would put healthy boundaries on different types of relationships. Jesus, as we talked about acquaintances, I want to pray for the acquaintances in our life. Lord, I pray that we would be a positive influence on everybody that we come into contact with, whether it be strangers or acquaintances. Lord, I pray for the friends in our life, God, that we would be encouragers, that we would be loving. Lord, I pray that the close friends in our life, we would hold accountable and they would hold us accountable. Lord, all of this is to grow in who you've created us to be. God, I pray for the spouses in the room, the husbands and the wives, God, that you would strengthen marriages, strengthen relationships. And God, most of all, Lord, we want to grow in our relationship with you. We want to grow in our trust with you. We want to grow in our intimacy with you. We want to grow in our conversations with you. Lord, we want to be more aware of when you enter a room. God, we want to be more aware of what you'd like us to do in every moment of our day. Lord, I just pray for everybody here tonight. Jesus, as they go tonight, Lord, one thing I ask is that we'll feel and sense your presence, not just in here, not just in worship, but in all of their relationships and in their lives. Lord, we just thank you for our time tonight. God, we love you, and it's an honor to come together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I love you guys. Thank you all so much. See you all next time.